Hey everybody, welcome to the Into the Adultverse podcast. Today we've got a super, super technical topic ahead for you guys, but we'll also be talking a little bit about the ethics behind it as well, so don't be super turned off yet. Uh, we're going to be talking about brain-computer interfaces, uh, namely, you know, how they work, what they are, and kind of what implications it has for society down the road. Uh, it's a topic both of us are super, super interested in, and we hope you guys are too, and stay tuned. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Into the Adultverse podcast. So, yeah, as Fawad mentioned, we are talking today about brain-computer interfaces. And I'm already kind of getting excited for the conversation at hand. It has been, disclaimer, it has been a long day for me, so apologies if I (laughs) uh, just muddled my words a bit. But I still think we should get a ton of value out of this. Absolutely. So, I mean, like, there's a bunch of places we could start, but I think just... To set the landscape a bit and show why this is such an interesting topic, first of all, you know, we've, as a, civil, as a society, as a civilization, as a species, to this point, we've uncoded the genome. Um, now we can even edit it with CRISPR technology. We can transplant entire sections of body from one person to another. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, they're doing face transplants. Ridiculous. I didn't even know that Ridiculous. was Ridiculous. So scary. Yeah. We can grow organs in the lab using a 3D printer mm. and some and some living cells. Like it's crazy, right? Like, we've come so far, and yet the brain is still still remains this this giant monolithic final frontier of or one of the final frontiers of science. Yes. Like we know more about the ocean than we do about the brain, and it was literally only like this past I think like a week or a couple like days one ago, fifth, right? Um, the ocean. Yeah. yeah, I saw an article. Yeah, that's, we finally finished mapping a fifth, 20% of the ocean with a high resolution. Ridiculous. So that's 80%, 80% left, twice the size of Mars, um, that we've yet to actually map out to a high precision, to a high degree. So the brain has a, has a comes with it a bunch of mysteries that yet to, uh, have yet to be unraveled, and brain-computer interfaces only contribute to that sense of mystery. Definitely. Um, so how about we start with what exactly is a brain computer interface? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm going to steal from the intro of a relevant paper that I, I will link in the description as well. Um, uh, but basically during the last decade, a new technology called a brain computer interface has emerged, which allows the human brain to directly communicate with its outside environment. Um, so BCIs as it's known, um, or also known as a brain machine interface, BMI or a di- direct neural interface, DNI, is basically a non-muscular communication system, i.e. it doesn't depend on the brain's normal outputs of peripheral nerves and muscles and electrical activity in your in your body, uh, but instead it goes directly from the brain to an outside peripheral, and it provides a direct connection uh, to communicate and control devices. Um, many BCI projects have been produced to provide alternate methods to interact with the outside world, not only for healthy people, but also for patients who cannot use their muscles due to an injury or disease, but still are cognitively intact. So like, you know, people who suffer from extreme forms of paralysis, uh, people who have neurological disorders, things like that. Uh, And the BCIs are basically a way to, you know, allow them to actually interact with things directly with their brain. Um, And so there's a bunch of different types of BCIs. uh, But before we get into those, I want to share a quote that kind of just, you know, establishes what you were talking about, how, you know, this is a big frontier. It's not just, you know, uh, a tool to solve these 
particular issues and, and neurological conditions. Rather, it's like it has a lot of implications for society on a whole. I'm going to steal from Lex Friedman's podcast, which I highly, highly recommend. Uh, he did an episode with Elon Musk, and Musk was like talking about Neuralink, which is you know his um, his company focused on BCIs that was founded in 2016. And I think they already have like since 2016, they already have like over 153 million dollars of funding, which is ridiculous, right? Um, so obviously, this is a very hot field and a very new field. Um, you know, even Tesla was founded in what, 2010, 2009. So this is way, way newer than that. Um, and so anyways, Musk said, um, that the technology could be used to treat neurological conditions such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, and it could also be used to solve critical damage to the brain or the spinal cord. But his eventual goal is to merge human consciousness with AI. And I'm quoting here, Neuralink is intended to address the existential risk associated with digital superintelligence. We will not be able to be smarter than a digital supercomputer. So therefore, if you can't beat them, join them. Um, so a little bit of dystopian apocalyptic vibes for you there. But um, regardless, I think, you know, beyond sort of the therapeutic concepts, which we'll touch on for sure, um, there are some huge, huge overarching implications of this technology. So, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, you, there's too many thoughts on that. Like you, you talked about way too many I things. I right always there, do this, it's, my bad. <laughs> it's mad. No, it's, 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 it's sick. So let's try and um, like break that down yeah. a bit. Um, I think a place I would like to start with is the therapeutic benefits of it. Yep. Because it's insane. It's incredible. The sheer raw potential it has to circumvent some of the things that have historically been, um, how do I put this? It, it's things that have been com- like devastatingly debilitating for us, for sure. right? People who have been paralyzed, um, people who you know they've lost their sight, lost their hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, you know, we have um, again like other advances in, t- in technologies like pacemakers, cochlear implants to try and circumvent some of these mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. This would be something that, though, it's like it's invasive in um, kind of like embedding it in you. Other than that, like it's still a very um, um, surreptitious thing but one so I guess looking at it from one of the more interesting POVs that I've seen it from and this is a huge huge problem right now um, but it, so there's this thing called locked in syndrome right. if you're familiar mm-hmm. with it do you want to explain for the listeners so yeah locked in syndrome is essentially when individuals are still conscious though they have lost their physical ability to communicate with people so their their entire body is essentially paralyzed save for maybe like their eyes so they can their eyes can maybe like dart around the room but other than that the rest of their body is just frozen Mm -hmm. in a vegetative state Mm -hmm. and um there have been i've heard so many heartbreaking stories of individuals who have been stuck in that state and you know their families are just it's they they watch their families slowly just give up Mm -hmm. on them because like, what can you do, right? You don't know if your your child, your husband, your spouse is gonna come back from that point. Mm-hmm. And could you imagine being in that state and then seeing your loved ones just have that conversation? Like, okay, maybe it's time to pull the plug. That's so scary, bro. Imagine being right? in that position. Yeah. Uh, like, you... but this. No, go ahead. I was I was gonna Sorry, say yeah. it's like scary to be on the other side of it you know, when you have to make that decision, but imagine how much scarier it is to be the one who, who like, can't have control over that decision. Exactly. Because, like, it's, you might, I mean, who knows? It's It might be, like, a sense of relief, like, finally you're being released from these shackles. Or maybe, you know, it's just this, this, this pervasive sense of dread. You're not ready to go yet. You don't want to go yet. You want to fight a little longer, but 
you're not able to make that judgment yeah. call. But with BCIs, it, you know, it provides that opportunity now to be able to have this mode, this mode of communication, so that you can still make your voice heard. And there's a lot that we can la- learn about individuals in this state through this new technology, because. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are no right answers about like when you can pull the plug or um, therapeutics, if anything's working, things of that nature. But now we can finally hear from the people who are in that position. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's. Uh, are there any other therapeutic benefits you've seen, or like what do you think about that within the realm of therapeutic? Yeah, uh, I mean, potential? I think within the realm of therapeutic potential, like I think um, what's what's also really cool is you know obviously for for patients with paralysis and and you know locked in syndrome and things like that, this is a big thing. Um, you know, but it also goes beyond that in terms of like human augmentation, right? So like if you're missing a limb, you know, you attach a prosthetic limb that you can then control with your mind through electrodes or whatever it is, which is, you know, that's incredible in and of itself. I think there's like a really famous Ted talk by this like one rock climber who like, you know, lost his leg in a rock climbing accident or whatever. And now he has like a bionic leg that he controls completely with his mind. And he, he's actually broken his previous records with that leg which is incredible. And that brings on like, you know, a whole host. That's cheating. Of, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, is that cheating? Is that not cheating? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but not, not even just like the cheating conversation, but also like who gets to like augmentation versus therapy, right? Like what if I have completely yeah. normal limbs and I just want to be super strong, right? Um, do I have access to that or do I not? And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but I think another thing on the, on the kind of like um, physical or like, like physiological therapy kind of idea is um, even beyond the physiological concepts, there's also like the mental concepts as well. And like you said, you know, the brain is still one of those frontiers where we actually don't know that much about the brain, right? Like there's a lot that we don't realize and mental health is a big one of those, right? So, you know, not just like our, our classic mental health issues like schizophrenia and depression, but also things like autism, you know, Down syndrome, things that we don't fully understand either, that you know seem to be a little bit more like physical in nature and things like that, right? But um, what BCIs allow us to do is information gather on a huge scale, right? And being able to observe, you know, input and output signals from a brain, and actually completely like map out what is the difference between a brain with autism and a brain without autism, or a brain with schizophrenia and a brain without schizophrenia, beyond you know certain chemical markers that we can see, but actually looking at the neurological activity in that brain, I think is incredible. And Musk like is famous for saying that like you know his, Neuralink is going to solve autism and schizophrenia, and you know I think we're like we're definitely uh, like way be like we're definitely way too early to say something like that. But, you know, he, he, his statement said, you know, autism, schizophrenia, memory loss, Parkinson's, um, like he claims that that Neuralink will be the first to solve all this. And I think that's super, super interesting at the very least because of like the massive scale that something like this could have. Um, and then another thing I want to touch on that you mentioned, I know I'm talking a lot here is, um, the idea of like invasive versus non-invasive, because I think that's a really important distinction. And I want to like make that very clear to like the audience as well. And so, um, just like a little bit of background. So BCIs can be accomplished through like basically three main means. There's the invasive model, the partially invasive model and the non-invasive model. Um, so we'll start, I guess, with the non-invasive model. So the non-invasive model basically uses like EEGs, which are electroencephalograms. So, uh, I took med- medical terminology in, uh, in my third year. So, um, I'm, I'm a nerd out with these pronouns and stuff or prefixes and stuff, but basically electro meaning electricity encephalo meaning like the brain and uh ogram meaning a recording of 
um, or a graph is a recording of, maybe it's a measurement of. Anyways, I forget, it's been a while. But the point <laughs> being like, you know, basically you post, put these electrodes on your brain uh, or on your cranium, sorry, not on your brain because it's not non, non-invasive. Um, so on your skull and they rest outside the brain, but um, you know, they like, they're easy to wear. You know, there's a lot of benefits to them in terms of like, they don't require surgery and things like that, but um, they have but... relatively poor spatial resolution within the brain. And um, the cranium actually like dampens signals. So there's dispersing and blurring of like the electromagnetic waves. Um, so that's like the non-invasive side. There's the partially invasive side where uh, basically the idea is uh, partially invasive BCIs are implanted inside the skull, but outside the brain. So not actually within the gray matter. And so there's two types of that. There's like epidural and subdural. Um, the dura for anatomy nerds out there is like a layer, <laughs> basically a layer that like sheaths the brain. Uh, so to speak, and there's like uh, like cerebrospinal fluid CSF like that runs through the brain and and, and accomplishes like a bunch of different things. But um, so the idea is like you're not actually going into the brain, you're not making incisions or anything like that, but you are underneath the cranium. So obviously you need to you need to make some sort of you know like surgical procedure to do that. Um, and those are supposed to be better resolution than non-invasive BCIs, but um, obviously you know there's the risk of forming scar tissue in the brain and and you know obviously the risk of the surgery as well and then there's fully invasive bcis i don't think this is super popular and hasn't been studied that much uh because it's it's pretty hard to I, like the brain is very like misunderstood and so like making incisions into the brain like willy-nilly is is something that isn't encouraged obviously um in the medical community but um definitely something to consider as well so there's some like a lot of trade-offs in terms of you know invasive versus non-invasive and and how much resolution you can have versus um you know how much ease you want to have like the patient able to use this for so mm -hmm. and, like resolution being pretty much the biggest trade-off exactly. right when it comes to those different methods yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i guess maybe we can talk about Neuralink a bit because like the technology that they are using is actually remarkable considering like the trade-off we just mentioned mm -hmm. right um with Neuralink, they are using uh i believe it's like little gold um it's gold yeah it's gold like needles basically mm -hmm. um whereas like conventionally they use silicon electrodes mm -hmm. uh and the silicon electrodes are a lot more rigid and a bit and it's a bit larger but like considering the small or the size at which these things are really constructed just a bit larger is actually a drastic For difference sure. um but yeah with typically like the silicon electrodes which are conventionally what were used um, they, because they're so rigid in there again, like it, uh, it runs the risk of, um, building up scar mm -hmm. tissue and it kind of just impedes the brain's natural movement, just like in your head. Um, and of course, like we don't want any of that happening considering how sensitive like the, the brain right. is. Um, and considering the, how thin those, uh, electrodes and Neuralink are using, um, it actually is, it, it's a lot more flexible too. So, um, that yields so many more advantages but one of the downsides is that because it's so small even the skilled hands of a surgeon kind of struggle to mm -hmm. get it in so to, to uh, circumvent that they just built another robot yeah. for it so like the robot takes care of like um, the issues there but on the topic of resolution so with the Utah array was one of the other popular BCIs mm -hmm. um, that were around and they were doing a couple experiments with that. And yeah, people were just controlling like an, a robot arm right. um, and things of that nature with the with the Utah channel. And it's crazy because they had a max channel count of 256 channels, right? Mm -hmm. Which is essentially just the amount of like data input that they're right. getting. 
and so 256 channels with Neuralink's prototype uh, that they use on a rat model they actually had a max channel count of 3072 channels Damn. so it's already like drastically better like resolution 10X. and yeah. the more yeah and um the more resolution that you have or the more data that you're able to gather the more finely tuned you're able to make the whatever output that For you're sure. putting out um the challenge right now though is that we haven't gone fully wireless yet so it does entail having like this unsightly port sticking out the back of your head <laughs> and uh yeah, you, style, it's yeah. it's literally matrix style and it's it's weird because like uh with um uh Neuralink, they, it, they use a usb-c connector <laughs> just pop a little usb-c port in the back my of my macro head. charger uses that too so you know i might have to get some juice in yeah <laughs> you just use the same thing just that's how you're going to charge yourself too in the future um but it's obviously very dangerous because you're variably walking around with an open wound yeah and it's an easy access point to the most vital organ in your mm-hmm. body but yeah there is a lot of potential for what can happen there so i guess going backtracking a bit to what you were saying earlier because again like you touched on a bunch of different I things <laughs> my bad <laughs> um <laughs> so with one of the other things you mentioned was like with mental mental health yep. right and it's it's super interesting so um michio kaku who is a famous physicist he and I know there's a bunch of people who have like issues with him. They disagree with a lot of the things he says, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I just think he has some really interesting takes. Oh, on I some, absolutely uh, agree. Very interesting. I used to read topics, his books right? as a kid, like religiously. Like I thought he was the sickest guy ever. But yo, it's like him and uh, Bill Nye were often. And Neil deGrasse just, like, Tyson. Yeah, yeah. And Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but he like so. He posits that BrainNet will be the future of the internet where you know we can upload feelings and emotions directly and it's i mean it's, it's an interesting conversation to to have right okay, and this is super high level like we're just abstracting and like this is well beyond um what we have any capacity for probably within the next like couple decades mm-hmm. but you know eventually we'll be communicating without the need for just this verbal back and forth mm-hmm. and you know like how many times have you been in a conversation with somebody and you know, you're touching on a sensitive topic and you maybe you're just not able to get the right things out and you end up saying the wrong mm-hmm. thing. You end up hurting feelings. You know, at, all the time. With brain that you won't yeah, all the time? That's not true. You're just talking about that, huh? Uh I I, I, I no comment. I I, I invoke the fifth <laughs> amendment for that one. Um but like yeah, like we'll get to a point where we won't have the need to talk with words because we're conveying like we're just kind of having that telepathic back and forth and we i like whatever i'm feeling i'll be able to invoke in you and you will know exactly what i'm feeling it's like the ultimate empathy complete yeah yeah immutable yeah empathetic experience Mm -hmm. um and you know it's crazy because like uh i was reading an article sometime last year and they actually achieved brain-to-brain telepathic communication and they've been like uh yeah <laughs> Oop, i might have to check that out <laughs> imagine you send a heart there's... you send a heart to someone and instead of doing that you can actually send what you're feeling to them that's in- that's incredible that would ruin some lives but that's incredible yeah well like, not 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 to that level it, i just laugh because like you just had this crazy on your face when you dude we should that. start doing this on youtube but, um, bro. <laughs> yeah bro that, that that reaction was golden 
so with that experiment, basically what happened was there was a brain-to-machine interface, and there was an individual who's sitting there. They had this like Tetris screen in front of them, and the piece would fall and it would pause on this one configuration, and they would see that image. The machine would trans translate that and then amplify the signal, and there'd be another um, machine-to-brain interface, and it would show that uh, image directly into somebody else's Incredible. brain and then that person would see it and basically they would like think like turn like or like there'd be like a command right like spin turn yeah. whatever and they were able to just invoke that and then again like it would be that backwards process and it'll go back to the initial person who saw the the piece and then based on that um that prompt from the other person they would spin or whatever the piece accordingly Damn. and yeah, so then the piece would drop, and if it fit in place, then the, it was successful communication, right? And the, remarkably, they were actually able to do this successfully a couple times, huh. which is, like, pretty cool to see. Like, first mm-hmm. of all, how weird is it that this image went directly into your brain? Yeah, yeah like, without the use of your eyes. Like, that's something, like, we, talk, we think about our five senses, and maybe this is a little bit of a tangent, but, like, you know, we have five senses, like, taste, touch, whatever, feeling... Like, for, I'm not going to list all of them. Anyways, there's five of them. <laughs> the point is, <laughs> we have these senses, right? And we think that's the limit of human experience and the ability to feel things, right? But there are feelings we have that aren't co- completely encapsulated by those five senses, right? Like the feeling of heartbreak, for example. I'm going to go a little senty here. Sentimental hours. The wow. feeling of heartbreak. You know, it's, it, it is to an extent <laughs> a physical feeling. But it's not purely a physical feeling either. Like there's an emotional response, right? There's like a mental response. You feel it in your brain. You feel it in your heart. You you know, you feel it across your whole body, man. And so that idea is like uh, when, you, when you can directly upload, you know, different neurological signals into the human consciousness, what are those feelings? Like what will those feel like? You know, will they be like are our brains trained to, you know, convert those feelings into a framework that we understand so some things we'll understand as touch and some things we'll understand as sight um but you know what if we can evolve past that what if we evolve past the need to confine ourselves to those five senses and actually develop this other sense which is like you know neither touch nor sight nor smell right i don't know i'm just just some thoughts on that there's two more but... yeah, yeah 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 i know there's two more yeah. i'm not gonna list them all <laughs> it takes too long anyways <laughs> um yeah, no, it's it's super fucking strange because like yeah, like, there's so many conversations to be had around that and like one, I mean, I get okay. So this is a crazy topic, so I'm just gonna go full fucking oh, no. force, like reckless abandon. Okay, but I mean, if you think about it too, like even our current existence, best case, look, say let's say like the simulation argument isn't even like it's false, right? Like whatever reality we're in is the true right. reality. Our subjective experience within it is a virtual reality, right? If you think about it, our entire experience is based on the translation of various stimuli by our right. brain. I mean, like we are like our entire existence is in yeah. our brain, and if we're it's stuck in this dark skull of ours, so it doesn't actually directly interface with the world. It just re- relies on tactile senses from our body, Any our, like signal, eyesight, right, our hearing yeah. at its base. Yeah, and it basically does its best job to to predict what our environment is and it builds a world of like model based on that. Right. And so like our entire experience comes down to just a couple chemical reactions and electrical signals in our brain. Yeah. And I feel like that's, I mean, it's something that can definitely, definitely be replicated. Mm -hmm. Right. 
like what it's it's weird to think about it in that light but like what is what is heartbreak in that sense is it just a bunch of like cortisol just being released you know just like this mm-hmm. this chemical cocktail in your brain and i mean that's all it, it's kind of depressing to think about it that way but like that's all our subjective yeah, experience kind of diminutive. Is. yeah reductive but but yeah I mean, like, at its core, you're right. Like, scientifically speaking, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, these things are chemical interactions and the feelings are electrical impulses. And that's really all there is to it. And so, theoretically, if you can break something like that down discreetly enough, you know, with incredibly high resolution, then can you not, like, simulate anything? And then if you can simulate any of those things, can you not simulate anything beyond that that we just haven't fully developed the capacity to understand? Because we're able, like, the world doesn't provide that kind of input to us. You know, like we have a limited sensory input, but what if we could stimulate things in, in a completely different pattern? So, yeah, I don't know. Like, imagine you it's could like weird, taste bro. and touch. Like, I guess you taste and touch at the same time, but like, I don't know, like taste and see something at the same time, taste and smell something and touch something and see something at the same time. Like, what would that feeling feel like, you know? And, or even sorry, like, no, go oh, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Here. I was just going to say, like, with what you're saying, like, the, or like, you know, synesthesia. Mm-hmm where our senses essentially get crossed, yeah. right? Like, you can taste a color, or you can smell Which a sound. Which is, like, what Kanye, you know, says when he's producing. Like, he sees, like, the beat, right? He sees, like, a red beat, a blue beat, mm. or whatever. Yeah, anyways, continue. Yeah, no, like... Uh, so, with that... It, it's, again, like, it's a very reductionist thing, but um, it's weird how... So with the brain-computer interfaces, right, like, that's exactly what it is. It's a back-and-forth, um, like, communication modality. Right. And so that means, like, just as much as we are putting out into the world, the world is putting out into us. So that's the weird part. You know, like, that's the part where we're able to augment our capacity because we're getting these, um, like, this flow of information. Mm-hmm. And I, like, it's, can you imagine getting, okay, so let, let's look at, like, entertainment. Like, how is entertainment going to change as a result of this? So, historically, first we started with, it was an audio experience. We sat around the radio for hours on end, hearing somebody Even before that, there was, like, the, the telegraphs, right? Like, you know, little dots and buzzes, like, learning, like, Morse code, you know? Like, literally just dots and buzzes that okay, we translate that, that, was a, that was more communication oh, yeah, than yeah. Enter- Fair, entertainment, Yeah, I guess though. nobody was sitting around the, the telegraph machine. They're like, yeah, this big. <laughs> Let's have a little family <laughs> night around the <laughs> transcribing Morse yeah, code. Yeah, spinning yeah, bars, yeah, yeah. spinning bars through yeah, Morse yeah. code. <laughs> okay, um, okay, but yeah, so we started with the radio, and then we went into video with silent movies. Then we combined the two, uh, added some color to it, you know, and then we have, you know, now we have three D. What's next? Like we're just gonna be like in the movies ourselves. Yeah. It's gonna be this full blown VR experience, mm-hmm. right? And could you? Okay, so like ads are annoying as is. Could you imagine getting fucking ads getting injected directly? Dude, imagine you brain? lived an ad and you couldn't skip it. What would you do, bro? <laughs> what? It was a bad ad too. Oh my god, that would be the worst. That would be the worst. Bro, the rates of suicide would <laughs> spike. Are you not I a joking would... matter? But oh, I, that's oh, a funny my... joke. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it's it's. There's a lot of. I mean, that that's that's something to think about. Right? The all the ethical quandaries that s- surround that. So maybe we can dive into the, the ethics of that. Yeah, a bit. yeah. I'm super down to drive into ethics. Like, I think there's so many things that come across at this. Uh, but my immediate thought is, like, one of accessibility. You know, like, already on the internet, we have, like, a huge accessibility problem where, um, you know, like, you have Absolutely. to be extremely visually interested in whatever you're doing, right? Because it's primarily a visual medium, right? Like, if you're more of an auditory learner, yeah, there's YouTube videos and stuff. But, like, like for example, Twitter is, like, 
I mean, we recently rolled out like voice tweets and not all accounts have it. I think like 25% of accounts <laughs> have it. But before, like last week, that didn't exist. So it was like 100% visual, right? And we actually got into a lot of flack with uh, voice tweets because, you know, we, some of the yeah. accessibility issues weren't fully flushed out, right? And, you know, people who are deaf or part of the deaf community, um, you know, felt like they weren't able to enjoy these features because there wasn't like a transcribe feature and things like right. that, right? So accessibility is a huge issue. But when you start considering, and, you know, I, I'm not here to say, like, you know, there's fundamental differences in how brains operate, but I think there is variation amongst that. And so when you have variation like that, like how will you cater content to specific brain types? You know what I mean? Like what if different people interpret different information differently via, you know, this new internet, this new connection system with our, our brains commuting directly to data? And how are you ensure like a unified field across that? And how will you ensure that, you know, certain people who can take advantage of features, um, like don't do so in a negative way it's almost like bci police right like what if somebody has like some weird brain quirk which allows them to you know like like use like a vpn or whatever in, in this virtual world or like exit the world and enter right and it, it gets it gets really interesting because you know these sound like mythical concepts and they are right because none of this exists yet but it's very easy to see how mm -hmm. you know these things could evolve over time and like a big thing is like you know what would the interface for something with the internet be like, what would the user interface be? Like, would you, like, would it be our classical, you know, like browser window? Or would we like be in like a physical location and we choose where to go from our physical location or something like that? Or, you know, what would be communicating directly through sound, through sight? Like, what is it, right? And then who do we choose? Like, and what we choose for our user interface also affects who we choose to come along on that journey with us, right? And that's what accessibility is. So that's something I was just thinking about like kind of offhand especially given all the, the recent controversy around Twitter with, with those accessibility features. But yeah, I don't know if you thought about that or if you have other thoughts. Glad to pivot the conversation too. Uh, well, I'm just kind of like, I'm, yeah, I'm just trying to like wrap my head around what you just said. But do you, I'm just trying to think if that's a, like actually like a, like a prudent like, uh, concern to address considering like by nature of it, it sub it's able to subvert like any of the other classical boundaries of, um, like of those like being blind, being right. deaf, um, things of that nature, being paralyzed, whatever, mm -hmm. and because like this is a direct to brain communication, mm -hmm. right? I'm just wondering if outside of um, like certain genetic predispositions, like let's say for example, and I'd like not to dive in, into like the like the IQ conversation, right. but like objectively speaking, typically I think if you have an IQ below is it 70? Yeah, I think it's 70, 80. Like, yeah. you're considered to have, like, significant, like, men, um, cognitive impairments, right? right? Um, and, like, outside of that, where, you know, you're having difficulty just genuinely integrating, like, some of that new information within, like, your right. brain. Outside of, like, something like that, where, you know, where you just conceptually can't, like, understand certain things. Like, I don't think there's accessibility issues per mm. se um, in the classical sense. Yeah, so I agree. And what I'm saying is that, like, you know, we don't have the classical accessibility because we can communicate directly with brains. But what I'm saying is that what if there are accessibility issues we don't even know exist, right? And part of that uh, is IQ. Okay. Like, what if having a higher IQ, you know, changes how you can perceive things in this virtual world? Or, you know, what if somebody is blind and when they use, when they get visually stimulated via this new world, they don't interpret it the same way because they don't have the same, you know, history of visual memory, as, as somebody who isn't blind has right and so or like you know like in addition i think we should consider that like you know 
are we basically like saying that people with an IQ under 70, if they don't have like that same cognitive ability, will they even be able to participate in this world? Right. And is that a decision we're Mm -hmm. making? Like, are we saying like, no, they can't. And yes, they can. And, you know, it calls into the question, like, are they second class citizens or not? Right. And, you know, I think to an extent we've done this in the physical world where like if you IQ is like a factor for like a lot of jobs and things like that. Right. So if you're, you know, born with a lower IQ, it's possible you may never become like, you know, an engineer or whatever it is. Right. So like those are decisions that I think become even more important when you have access to somebody's full brain capacity. Right. Or like the full range of, Mm. of happenstance that can happen in their brain. And I think, you know, we've already kind of like done this artificial way of of like classifying society based on race like race is a social construct right like you know black isn't one thing Mm -hmm. or or white isn't one thing like there's multiple ethnicities that make that up right multiple cultures and like what if we start classifying people based on brain activity and how would that look like and and how are we being proactive about making sure that everybody's included in something or are we just like letting it happen and then realizing we've drawn up boundaries already you know what i mean and that's kind of like the question i was trying to get at Right, right. I mean, like, it's, so do you think, well, obviously, like, the, like, the implication is, like, by this point, technology have been, would have far advanced past, like, the point, like, where it is now, right? Do you think that there would, like, by that point, if brain-computer interfaces have been so advanced, it would be able to, you know, like you said, like, with with Neuralink, right, they aim to um, uh, cure, like, a bunch of these other diseases, of both of the mind and of of the physical body like i'm one is 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 you think there's like a cure for autism by that point something like that where mm. for severe like mental um handicaps where like say for example right just yeah. to tackle on a bit of like a simpler issue so we'll have by that point ideally we'll have this like a brain pacemaker for like Al- for alzheimer's patients right. um and like we're already starting to kind of get there, we're laying the foundations at um, at Wake Forest University, I believe, and USC. Mm-hmm. They were doing some experiments where they got a mouth a mouse to drink some water from like this contraption, basically, mm-hmm. and they place an electrode in the hippocampus, which is the the brain's memory center of the yeah. mouse, and um, the mouse would like it learned, and then after a while, it forgot. After it, they took it away the the dispenser right. from it, and then they placed it in front of it again, and the mouse like didn't know how to access the water. Then they reinserted like the electrode and injected that memory directly into the mouse's brain mm-hmm. again, and then for, on its first shot, it was able to access yep. it again. Now, obviously, That's this incredible. is a very like yeah. simple task, but yeah, it's incredible how that memory was literally stored. Like we took a recorder, like a exactly. tape recorder, and we just recorded yeah, that yeah. shit. And implanted back in. So, like, at that point, you know, if we have all of that, like, could you technically get someone to just remember everything? To so, And by extension, you know, if you have this wide memory base that you can, um, that you can tap into at any given time, would cognitive impairment still be limited at that point? That's a, I mean, it's a great question. And, and, you know, I don't think there's an answer to that per se. Like, yeah, like, theoretically, will we be able to cure... Alzheimer's will be able to cure, you know, like cognitive impairments, like, like autism and things like that. Like, you know, I think those are important questions to consider when doing this, but I think other important questions to consider is that, you know, human beings are not all the same. And, and even, you know, even within the mental health department, for example, like, um, it's actually quite common thing that most people don't realize, but for example, there's actually huge, like gender differences 
between um, drugs that people are just prescribed. And a big part of that is because research is primarily based on male study participants for a large part. And even if they're not based on only male study participants, they're honest, like they're usually designed by males because research is a heavily male dominated field or they're designed in right. areas where people are like vastly the same ethnically speaking. Right. And so what I'm saying is like, you know, what if you have, and you know, this is present in AI as well, right? AI has bias, right? Like when you train AI on biased data or when you train AI that's coded by biased people, right? You inherently have bias in the AI as well. And there's like a ton of classical cases of this, right? But like, you know, the typical like one is like it, given like a database of, of people in jail, right? It'll predict that black people are way more likely to commit crimes, right? Just because, you know, we've built a right. s- systemic inequality into our system, right? And so... When I say that, what I mean is like, you know, when we go into this, you know, new virtual world, the people designing this world are, let's be honest, like white males, right? For the most part, like AI mm-hmm. and VR, I think is heavily, heavily male dominated. And it's obviously dominated by North America and, and maybe like Japan and a couple other countries that are, you know, really into the technology scene. But what I'm saying is like when we design these systems for people like that, by people like that, who are we leaving behind? And it's like a question that, you know, we can't answer yet because we don't even know what these systems will be. Like we don't know what the virtual highway of the internet will look like. Like will that be a physical spot? Will it not? And so, yeah, I just, like as like encouraging like a healthy level of cynicism, I guess, in terms of just like thinking about these things early and like being conscious about these things because like we've already proven that we're not the most conscious about them with AI. Like our AI does have biases, right? Like exactly. the, the whole Apple Apple card thing with MasterCard and Goldman Sachs, like their algorithms were super, super biased against women. Like it was actually way harder for women to get approved for that card. Um, I also got rejected from mm-hmm. it. I don't know what this says about me, but <laughs> I just have bad credit. Anyways, <laughs> but, um, you know, things like that are, are interesting questions. And uh, yeah, that's, that's all I want to bring up. But you're right. Like I, I think it has a huge potential for good. Um, and that Alzheimer's example is incredible because honestly, that's one of my biggest fears. Like, I like I'll be straight up. Like, my biggest fear is just forgetting who I am. Like, having Alzheimer's is probably like the number one thing. Like, the only Yo, reason I terrifying. run and like work out is because I apparently it helps with that. So, <laughs> like, running and apparently one of the best therapies, or I guess therapies, or a good way to stave it off is actually dancing. Really. Too. Something about the mix of like choreography and your brain kind of keeping up with the choreography plus the physical movements of everything. Um, phenomenal way to stay off. That's dementia. awesome. Um, but yeah, another like, so kind of just exactly uh, piggybacking on what you just yeah. mentioned and another big ethical quandary that surrounds this whole uh, like issue with BCIs. Yeah. Um, and like, as with most disruptive technologies, we had to be conscious of how in the very early days we implement it. Because if we do it wrong, then there could be exponential growth exactly, in the wrong direction exactly. um, that we yeah. see, right? And, like, one of the biggest things that we we have historically seen and we may see with this is um, selective enhancement and social stratification, right? Yes. So, like, who's going to have access to this technology when it first comes out? Is it going to be those rich white males? Is it, Are we going to be able to, I don't know, leverage economies of scale from the get-go and get it to everybody at, like, an affordable yeah. price? Huge. Because, you know, if... If we start off, if it's just those rich white males that are starting off with this technology, they're already at a huge advantage. If they can leverage the augmented, augmenting cap- uh, capabilities of this technology, who's to stop someone when like they're already at this, the, like a pinnacle of cin- civilization when you know they have the capital, they have the access to resources, and you know they're probably, probably asterisk smart. Um, 
to get to that point in the first place, right? Depending on your definition right? of smart and privilege and Depending, all that. But yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree. Assuming you weren't just born yeah. into it. But, like, yeah, if you give them, like, the, the kingpins, this other, like, this infinity gauntlet, like, how are you going to stop them? No, it's, a, it's right? a really good question. And another thing I think about is designer babies. What if you could selectively screen the, the brain of your baby? as it's being born like genetics uh-huh. is one thing you know like genetic diseases blah blah blah. what if you could literally look into the brain and see how they're developing and plot that against a metric and say i want to abort this baby after three months you know something like that incredible and like yeah like augmentation is another issue that like we touched upon briefly and like i would love to get more into that too which is like you know to what extent should these things be used for therapy to what extent should these be used for augmentation and yeah like you mentioned who gets the augmentation is a huge issue because imagine Imagine you have an implant yeah. that lets you access Google. Like, you're acing every test you ever take. That's, that's cheating. cheating. That's bro. Exactly. That's cheating. And, <laughs> like, you know, I don't even think that's like a that's like a 100x change in human, human psych, right? Like, somebody who can do that instantly and, like, has access to the net instantly, like, in their brain. Like, dude, any anything they do, they would do better than you. You know what I mean? Literally anything because they can they have the infinite capacity to, like, look things up, right? And so, yeah, that like inequality yeah. is like a huge thing. Social stratification is a huge thing. Like the haves versus the have nots. Like if you have this technology, are you just immediately like, you know, completely privileged as a society member? And then if you don't, are you not? Um, and then, you know, that system perpetuates itself. It consolidates itself, right? With designer babies. Like, you know, the people who have designer babies then go on to have better babies, you know, and goes on and goes on and goes on. And the gene pool becomes, you know, like stratified like that, right? And so... Elite. yeah yeah and it's super scary to think about because that's yeah. like on a physical level but on a mental level it's more insidious because you know we think that we have this idea that like you know people are equal in their mind and i agree but you know i don't think people are equal when somebody has a chip and somebody doesn't that lets them look at it off google right and so that's a really interesting question for sure now it's a good point you brought up with the designer baby because like the equivalent of that that we're seeing right now is leveraging CRISPR technology yeah. right and we should 100% devote like an entire episode to CRISPR because like, that is a fast one of my on most fat it has to be on our list yeah. right now um, but like yeah one of the t- technologies that I'm most fascinated by because like every time I see an update on it there's always some crazy shit happening with it absolutely um, last time the CRISPR really made like headline news I believe was sometime last year um, I don't know if you remember with there was a Chinese scientist who basically used it to increase the so okay we don't know if he did this intentionally or not but basically there were a, a pair of twins right he basically made them like super smart babies yeah so there's this gene basically that um i think it helps prevent the onset of hiv or helps yeah or combats it in right. some way but it also has a downstream effect of increasing intelligence okay. as well um uh, my again it's been like quite some time since i read on this so my recollection of this For is sure. hazy but it's it's there, there's the that, idea, that like um, somehow there that was the main idea though through this like edit hiv resistance and increased intelligence yeah. exactly and he was out he was outed from the get-go and he, this made huge because like there's huge ethical dilemmas like he just he crossed this line mm-hmm. like there was this like in there was this unspoken um rule that nobody was supposed to cross this line or at least not yet till we've had a proper framework mm-hmm. for it and he crossed it and now you know we see so we have to see how the babies develop mm-hmm. but at this point you know it's only the the very um like arcane this very arcane group of people who have access to this technology yeah. and if again it's those rich white people who are able to make their babies incredibly intelligent 
how are we going to stop that? Like, how are we going to get the playing field back to being mm-hmm. equal if they're leveraging this technology like that? Um, and again, like, it's something we got to keep tabs on because if we don't, like, I mean, the, things are already in a pretty bad place looking at like how 2020 has been going so yeah, far. Yeah, inequality is at its the highest. The disparities yeah. we've been exactly. seeing. Yeah. Exactly. No, super great discussion. And man, this just brings me back to the fact that I think we need to completely revamp our political systems and, and we need to have a refound or newfound faith in public policy. And that's something I'm super, super passionate about. And, and partially because of the books I've been reading recently and I, we've had this conversation a lot of times and maybe we'll do a book review, but especially Winners Take All, which is a great book, highly, highly recommend. Probably done that three times in this podcast already. But point being, you know, this <laughs> idea of having faith in our public practice, because let's be honest, if a private company like Learning does it and they set a price super high, and only rich white people can afford it, we're going to have social stratification, right? There's no question about it. And the only way we can effectively regulate these things isn't through, you know, company agreements or mergers and acquisitions and things like that. It's And it isn't through nonprofit work. It's through government regulation, right? And we need to have faith in our government system to be able to do this because there isn't really an alternative. And you can't have faith in cooperation of corporations because, I mean, we've had that. And, you know, Google and Amazon owed half the internet, right? So... Um, not exactly, <laughs> not exactly equitable. Right. And so like, yeah, bring it back to that point. But, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to switch the topic a little bit cause we're nearing our time for this episode and I have a question for you that I, I think it would be really interesting to hear your thoughts on. If you had access mm-hmm. to a completely perfect world with zero human suffering and you had faith that, you know, while you're in the real world, um, you know, you would be fine. You'd be taken care of. You'd be healthy. Right would you plug yourself into this perfect virtual world and would you ever leave and why or why not? And you know, this is given, you know, a, that, you know, it's virtual, but it's just perfect, right? There's no human suffering. It's perfect. Would you, or would you not leave or enter that world? Okay. Well, at what, at what risk am I doing that? Like, am I putting my, am I leaving my body vulnerable? Like I'm just going to like, no, no. so like I mentioned, like you're completely healthy in the physical world. Like you're fine. There's no risk in terms of like physical, like you, you won't like wither away, you know? Yeah. I think muscles will atrophy and things like that, but like, like you won't, like you won't die. You you can come out and be, have faith that within a couple of months, you'll be just as healthy as you were before this experience. So, I mean, it's, it's something that I've thought yeah. about too, because it's, it doesn't even have to be a perfect world or like, so just looking at like conceptually full dive VR technology, right. right? In that, like that is in almost inherently a perfect world because you can be, you can do, you can be whoever you want, you can do whatever you want, you can go wherever you want in that world, and you know that that is escapism at its most right. potent. Like I can't think of anything more addicting than that. Like the like you know you can shoot up heroin, <laughs> but that high is gonna that high is only so lasts right. so long. Like these other things are ephemeral, but VR technology you can live in there for as long exactly. as you want. The problem is though that you are foregoing your real existence for that, uh-huh. right? And the But what is real at that point? So, what if everyone lives in a society? Like is our our society even real then? Like does it matter? Because if everyone lives in the matrix, the matrix is what's real. That's where people interact, you know. Yeah. I mean like it's I, I completely agree where you're yeah. coming from. And like, I love that, like love it as a thought experiment, but it's, it's pretty, it seems to be pretty trite, right? Like say, for example, we are like actually living in this like simulation. Yeah. What, what good does it do if you just give up? Like, are you just going to end up dying in this? Wait, simulation sorry, what do you anyways? mean give like, up? Worst like, case, you mean, like just like 
like re- resign like yourself the to game. the simulation yeah okay yeah like give up like give up in the sense like okay well i'm not gonna go to work anymore i'm just, i'm not gonna pursue any goals i'm just gonna be a couch potato i'm gonna watch netflix i'm just gonna just do right. whatever right and you mean maybe there is a certain point like there's this opti- optimistic nihilism that you can imbue the system with and maybe you use this that nihilistic pov to pursue some some things you put off as like these grandiose goals maybe you wanted to travel the world and you're like what you know what fuck it whatever if this simulation was built for me or if i'm a part of the simulation why not go explore the depths of it mm-hmm. but it doesn't change the fact that you live in this in it's changed the, the notion that you live in this world and like i'm going to default to descartes uh, i think therefore i am mm-hmm. so like at least i know that i am real in this simulation right and like this is my real experience whatever mm. if you just default to the vr experience yeah. then you're veritably giving up on the real but world. what is the real world that's what i'm saying and like does it matter because okay, if you're but... <laughs> like the descartes i think therefore i am like you are thinking in this world you are making yeah. conscious decisions you're still you still have complete agency right i mean you know yeah that's hard like what if the designers of the game implement limits blah 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 yeah like physical laws things like that but like you know or like determinism right, right. but like at the same time like you have the ability to think is what i'm assuming here right so do you think that still yeah. applies in that in that like instance i don't know i mean like i i guess like after a certain point if we do have fully immersive full dive vr there's probably going to be a point where you start questioning what is real and what is not which only compounds like the how scary that kind of technology mm-hmm. can be and Maybe that's why like there should be limits placed on it. Maybe that's just another ethical quandary that we have to address. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to believe that. Okay, first of all, like let's say for example, like the world did succumb to that. Mm-hmm. I can very, very easily see like the world going to shit as a consequence. People are gonna end up spending way too much time in it. Um, people are gonna start foregoing their, like real their actual health mm-hmm. for it, their actual jobs for it, because you know you're getting that same. I mean, so I our there are two things in this world that have dominion over us as a man or as, as yeah. people. Um, and that is pain and pleasure. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like our entire, if you, it's a reductionist, but our entire experience can be distilled down to those two things and in pursuit or, or um, retreat from one of those mm-hmm. things. Right. Typically we're pursuing pleasure. We're retreating from pain. And you know, there's, this is this perfect cocktail that you can constantly get these hits of dopamine very easily. Um, without having to put yourself through any real stress or just it's perceived stress. And like, it's still, it's still beneficial results that you right. get from that. And I, I'm kind of like detracting from, I'm kind of dodging the question mm. a bit, but I want to say that first of all, the future belongs to optimists. Yeah. So if you're using this as an, a means of escape, then you will end up falling into this world. But the optimists who know that we can get our real world to a point where, you know, it mimics that utopia. That, that ideal utopia, they're the ones that are gonna be, you know, like putting in the footwork to get to that mm-hmm. point. And I think I guess we'll see like a very clear divide. And I don't wanna s I don't think that I am strong or have this concrete willpower to be able to say that I'm not going to be able to tap into that world because it is very alluring. So I'm going to say that I will probably end up being one of those people where I end up falling into that. Like I have a pretty addictive um, 
personality. Uh, like personality. Mm-hmm. So I want to say that, you know, it just, I will probably end up, at least from where I am in life right now, I'll probably end up succumbing really? to that. What about you? I don't know, man. Like, I honestly can't answer that question. So I'm kind of cheesed I asked it because now I, now I have to answer it. But um, yeah, man, <laughs> like you touched on a lot of points, but the idea, like, can we make our reality better? And if a reality can never get better, you know, let's say like we can't solve global warming, then why don't we just all go underground and just plug into this virtual reality and just live super sick lives in green fields and pastures, right? Like, is that a failure of humanity? And what if in that, you know, new utopian environment, we can actually, you know, think of things to help us in the real world, right? What if we can create a virtual laboratory in this new environment and we can create virtual raw materials and things like that where we can, you know, like, like solve these problems that we've never been able to solve because we have unlimited time and resources and things like that in this virtual world. Like, you know, there, there are a lot of what ifs in the, in this scenario. So it's hard to answer. Um, Fortunately, I don't think I have, you know, a tendency to an addictive personality. I've actually tried to get addicted to certain things and never worked out. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I do think that, you know, it's just so alluring. And like like a utopia, like who wouldn't want to live in a utopia? You know, if you could afford it, mm-hmm. it's very easy. What like and I think about this in, every time in San Francisco because it's so huge here. Like San Francisco is a huge homeless problem, right? But the thing is, if you live in a nice part of San Francisco, San Francisco is beautiful. It's a beautiful city. And if you go to work in your, you know, tech-sponsored shuttle bus and you go to your beautiful campus, you know, with, with the bikes and stuff like that, and then the lime scooters lying around, and you eat your free lunch from a sushi chef that's, like, world-renowned, and then, you know, you code for a bit and you play some ping pong and you go home on your shuttle bus with internet access and air conditioning – and you get dropped off at your super nice neighborhood and you go to your 70th story apartment, you never have to worry about it. And when you don't have to worry and see things, do you still care about it? And, you know, the thing about San Francisco is San Francisco has arguably the two things that we need most to solve some problems like homelessness, right? We have a lot of capital and we have a lot of smart people. So we have the human capital and the financial Mm -hmm. capital. And we have a very obvious problem that's solvable and we haven't solved it. And so, and I say we, I've been in San Francisco, what, two months. But my point being like, you know, <laughs> why? And how will something like that and escapism into that affect how we care about the real world? And yeah, it's just a super interesting discussion. And, you know, we're, we're nearing an hour. So I'm probably going to wrap it up now. But um, I would love to talk about this more. Maybe we'll do a part two. And we should do a yeah. part two. Yeah, I still have a bunch of thoughts I, on that. We can keep going, but. Let's. I think it's best to break it up. We'll do a part yeah, two. Okay, on this. we'll cut that out. But yeah, so we'll do a part two, and we'll yeah. dive a little bit more deeply into our thoughts on this. And I mean, so many topics related to this. We definitely should do a designer babies episode. We should do an AGI artificial general intelligence episode. And if you guys have any you know suggestions as well, all you listeners out there, please let us know because we're always looking for new topics and new debates. And yeah, like you know, um, one of our listeners brought up a good point. I think her name's Lynn. Um, shout out Len, thanks for thanks for this point. Shout but out Lynn. She's, she mentioned, you know, we should try and make more of a community feel, and I super agree with that. So if you're listening towards the end, you're you're one of our diehard fans, and so we want you guys to you know reach out to us, but also like maybe make a post on LinkedIn, comment on one of our posts, reply to one of our Instagram stories, and like engage in the conversation and tell us what you think about these things, and and you know would you choose to be in this simulation or not, and and yeah, like you know get the discussion going because I think these are important questions and. The more we talk about these things and are aware of them, the better we design them in the future. 
yeah please do reach out to us we would like first of all like we love you guys thank you so much <laughs> for the support and you know yeah like we just want to build up a community around this so we would love to build up a, more of a conversation and love to hear the things that you have to say so yeah please do definitely reach out to us um and yeah thank you again so much for all the love cheers cheers signing off <laughs>